Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. I think you should start. We so. always start. Okay. Maybe I want to start. <laughs> you can start. No, I don't want to start. I want you to start. <laughs> I'm Isaac. And I'm not Nadia. And welcome to the table where everybody gets to take a seat. Um, who are you then if you're not Nadia? Uh, so I am Josh. I am very honored to be the partner of Isaac Sanders. Um, <laughs> you just, you're real uncomfortable. Aren't I you? am, yeah. That's okay. This is Josh's first time on a podcast, so you know, like Josh. Is, you know how it be. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like real shoddy. The first time I ever did this, so. Mm. But anyway, Josh, who are you? What are you? Give me five things about yourself. Um, and then I'll give them five things since I'm your partner. So I think I should you. do one, you do one. Okay, Let's do that. Work. That's easier. Okay, okay so um, biggest identity thing about me is that I'm bald. Yes, bald. Uh, very, very bald. Um, I mean, I shave my head, but like, you know, balding at the age of 18 kind of thing, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> that gives you a good... <laughs> Wow. Yeah. You're getting real personal, letting everybody know that you I mean, started. Why be ashamed, you know? I mean, yeah. Balding's great. Man, I like it. <laughs> Thanks. You're welcome. What is something that everybody should know about Josh from mm. my perspective? Um, Josh snores. So do you. Okay. <laughs> We're not talking about me. Okay. That's real. Josh snores. A lot. A lot. Oh, no. I don't think it was a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> okay. Okay. Mm, another thing. I consider myself a fashion icon. <laughs> Just really, um, you know, trying to be humble here. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm a trendsetter. Yes. <laughs> I'm not going to say it's not debatable because I think you are setting a trend. With what you wear, mm, okay. yes. Okay. If it's a positive or a negative trend, <laughs> a bigger question. Whatever. <laughs> Something that I think is important about Josh's identity mm. is that he really, 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 really likes dogs. Mm. Love dogs, <laughs> but what kind of dogs? Okay, big dogs. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. specifically. Oh gosh. Uh. Great Danes. Mm, true. Um, <laughs> uh, German Shepherds? That's not true. Yeah, that's a lie. Yeah, wow, I mean, you're just true. making up things about me. Yeah, I'm just coming up with big dog breeds and just hoping that they're right. Um, <laughs> I knew Great Dane was right. I don't know about any other ones. Golden Retriever? Yeah. I love Golden Retriever. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Um, mm, what else? What else? Big dog breeds. St. Bernard's. St. Bernard's. Love them. Yes. Big fluffy yes. dogs. Oh, Chow Chows because they're really chow fluffy. Chows. Bernie's Mountain Dogs. Mm-hmm. My favorite. Absolute yeah. favorite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Anything else? <laughs> if they're big and they're fluffy, um, I will fall in love with them. Yeah. That's about it. I don't really like small dogs. Um, I don't know why you have to be disrespectful like that. They're just like little runts, you know? I still don't understand the problem. Uh, Is it my turn? Yes. Okay. Um, Third thing about me, I am a typical Washingtonian that I love the outdoors. Mm. Kind of to that, like, gross level where, like, hiking and camping, like, gives me life. And, like, that's what I do instead of, like, watching Netflix or playing video games or doing normal people things. I'd rather go for a hike or camp. Um, 
And I'm trying to get Isaac to be one of those people as well. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. All right, stop. <laughs> um, the thing about going outside is that things happen outside. And as we have discussed things multiple happen everywhere. Times, <laughs> outside, things happen in ways that I don't have control over. Mm-hmm. I have control over Netflix. I can stop watching a show when I want to stop watching it. Mm-hmm. I can't stop the outside from changing when I go outside. I mean... You're not wrong. I know I'm not wrong. But isn't that, like, lack of control kind of fun? That's a whole different conversation (laughs) for another time. Um, What other things about Josh are important? Uh, Josh is from Washington because he's a typical Washingtonian, so he's from here. Um, That's all I have. I don't want to expand on that. Everything you know about me has been exposed (laughs) to this podcast. That's it. That's it. Josh (laughs) is from Washington. Grew up here. Uh, (laughs) Grew up north, and now he's a little bit more down central. Uh, (laughs) Central. Not even south Washington. Like, I barely moved at all. Oh, wow. This is all coming out that I know nothing about you. Perfect. Now, great. Now I'm anxious. What a better way. <laughs> People just know I know nothing. Um, Let's see. Mm, 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 mm. I love cooking. Yes. Josh does love <laughs> cooking because I can't cook and this is makes things better. This has upgraded my life exponentially. That's that's very real. You do not, uh, you do not cook, um, <laughs> ever. <laughs> I've never seen you like cook a meal for yourself. <laughs> I feel like people don't need to know that I'm not capable of taking care of myself like that. I really don't cook for myself, and it's not that I don't know how because mm-hmm, I can't mm-hmm. cook. It's just that sounds like a lot of work, and I just have too much else, too much other things going on. I just know. So just, uh, okay, yeah, sure. I don't think you can cook for <laughs> We can't expose me on this podcast like this. I feel very exposed. You shouldn't have brought me on that. Oh, wow. Okay, <laughs> bet. <laughs> Got you. Oh, is it my turn? Mm. Josh. I don't even know where we're at at this point. I think we're on four. Oof. I think I'm on four. I don't know. Josh is... A very thoughtful human being. Um, I remember this one time. Let me tell you about my favorite thing that Josh has ever done for me. So this one time, I wasn't feeling good of, like, over some reason. I don't know what it was. It could have been anything. Probably trauma. Mm, yeah. It's always trauma. <laughs> um, but Josh was like, hey, do you need anything? And I was like, no, you don't need to come over. I need to be by myself. He's like, oh, whatever. He's like, do you want anything from Uber Eats? And I was like... Excuse me? <laughs> what do you mean? Like, and he was like, I know, like, you don't cook for yourself. You don't make food. <laughs> um, I can get you something from Uber Eats so you have something to eat. And I was like, whoa. Mm. I've never thought of somebody buying me food from a distance and sending it to me. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. So ever since then, I've been offering people Uber Eats whenever they're in a bad situation because I can buy them food from a distance. It was such a good tool that you added to my toolkit. That was actually something that I picked up, like a habit that I picked up from Christine. Shout mm-hmm. out to Christine. Love what Christine. a lovely human being. Love um, she did that when I was sick one time. And yeah. I was like, wow, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard of. And now made it a practice. What if she got that from? Or if she's like the OG like angel human, you know? Yeah. 
the world mm. may never something know. Something to think about. Something to think about. Yeah. Anyway. Mm. Last see. thing, I think. Last thing. Hmm. Josh is white. I am white. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Like Nadia said, my trend of dating white men is true. Anyway, that's so my, I've heard. Yeah, that's my thing. <laughs> that's my thing. That's your thing. Um, mm. What else? What else? I'm a dork in like a very weird. Like, there's certain things that I'm very dorky about in terms of like if you're talking to me about health or like mm-hmm. international policy yep. or any of that stuff, I could literally talk for days on those subjects and I keep myself far too up to date on those matters. Um yeah. <laughs> There's been multiple times I've came over to Josh's house and just been like, hey, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I was reading up on, like, what was the one thing? It was some policy in, like, <clears throat> Lebanon? I don't know. It sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. And I was just like, what? And he was like, yeah, and there's a lot going on here. And he just started talking to me. But he was talking at me. Like, I was, like, it might have in been and Yemen. out. It was Not, Yemen. Yeah. It was Yemen. Because I now know things that I didn't know. As everybody should. My scope on, like, most of my matters, and, like, as you guys have heard on this podcast, like, most of my scope is around, like, local things mm-hmm. that are going on in America. And so ever since date, I started dating Josh, it's like my worldview has shifted dramatically. <laughs> and it's like I care about, I mean, I cared about it before, but I wasn't informed as much as I'm informed now yeah. based on what Josh brings to the table in my life. Mm. See? And we're at the table. Bring to the, the table. Podcast. Wow, look at you just bringing a full circle, look, Isaac. I'm so good at this. I'm so good at transitions. <laughs> this is like what I was meant to do my whole entire life. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's wild. Yeah, so usually me and Natty have a thing of the episode. So Mm -hmm. it can be anything that you want to talk about and bring to the table at the moment. Yeah. Like something that's going on in your life, like an update, anything that's like super pressing. I can go first if you want an example. Yeah, let's have you start. That'd be great. So my thing of the episode is Kingdom Hearts 3. Well, let me tell you. I love video games, and I don't think I've been on since the game released, or I haven't talked about it, but I've spent a lot of time. I just finished it. I had my emotional breakdowns. It was really good. Mm-hmm. I just really love Disney movies, but also, on top of it, creating like this Final Fantasy-esque vibe. Yeah. Anyway, it was the last game in the series of 10 video games, and I played every single one of them, and it was just the ending that I needed, but also... Who knows what's next? Because mm-hmm. I don't know how much more money I can spend on these video games. Really... They kept, they dropped um, some spoil. I can't spoil anything. Just mm-hmm. if you want to, go play the game. Josh isn't going to do it. I'm not going to let him. Yeah, he literally wouldn't let me play any of his. He's afraid that I that I was going to like kill his characters. And then he'd have to like totally restart the game. So he just never let me play. I just wanted to go through the game without losing. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I wanted was to go through the game oh, without goodness. losing. That's all I wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, so I think we talked. Is it wasn't your favorite game though? Wait, uh, Kingdom Hearts of the series. It was not your favorite one, right? No, it wasn't my favorite. I think that I still like the second one the best. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I really like the worlds that they gave me. They gave me Mulan. They gave me the Lion King. They gave me like the one with POCs in it. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. they gave me those kind of stuff. Where sure. this one really focused on like it was cute that I got a Toy Story world. Mm-hmm. That gave me life. Um, Big Hero Six World, stand it. Like love Big Hero Six, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it wasn't 
It wasn't The Lion King. <laughs> I love The Lion King. It's real. It's the blackest Disney movie be- behind Princess and the Frog because it literally has a black princess in it. If they would have gave me that video game, uh, like if they would have gave me that world, I would have lived. Mm-hmm. Down the bayou. That, that sounds amazing. Oh, God. That would have been iconic. That's the world they should have made. Anyway. Okay. Okay. That's real. <laughs> I would like to just take this moment to also, this is also just showcases how big of a dork Isaac is. In that. <laughs> All right. What are we going to do today? Get so <laughs> pop off in here on my podcast? On your podcast? Yeah. You brought me in, so. Whatever. You're welcome. Um, Let's see what's my thing. Hmm. Oh, today was living for the weather. So, <laughs> so again, <laughs> typical, like, just living for the outside. So this morning I started work pretty early. And then when I went to leave to go to the office, I walked outside. And I hadn't really looked outside that morning, this morning, just because I was busy. And so the second I walked outside, I heard, like, birds chirping. And I was like, this is new. What is this? <laughs> um, there was some sun. It was really cold, but I could feel the sun, you know. And I was just like, you know what? No matter what happens today, the sun's got my back. And so, <laughs> I can't. And so things were okay. And I'm just so excited for like spring days and then summer days when it gets warm. Like, oh my god, ah, so excited. So that's my thing of today. So your thing of the episode is literally the weather. Oh, without a doubt. Because we've been in that, like, gross, gray snow, very frigid. And, you know, I just don't function well in those environments. I'm a cold human being as it is. Yeah, that's Um, true. And so, yes, of course, does that surprise you that it's the weather? Not at all. Okay, good. Not at all, at all. (laughs) Whatever. So, Josh. Yes. You listen to the podcast. Uh Uh-huh. So, you know that we have segments. We do. Yes. Or Mm. you do. (laughs) Daddy will murder you. <laughs> this, is, this is half my anxiety. It's like misstepping a word. And Daddy would be like, excuse him. <laughs> She's already like, why is he here? Skeptical. <laughs> and I'm like, why is he in the studio? Anyway, not the point. So there's four segments. Yeah. The first one is Dig In, mm-hmm. where we mm-hmm. talk about pop culture usually process something yeah um and today we're gonna talk about things that are important in each other's lives not necessarily something that we would both care a lot about yeah i mean i feel like mine's really really important Mm -hmm. but um i don't know anything about what josh is about to talk about um oh i thought you would have okay never mind Nope. Um, and then there's the grown folks table, which is the to- topic of the day, which mm-hmm. today we're talking about something that would interest Josh mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. cause me to argue with him. But now that we've had that conversation, <laughs> I feel a little bit more adamant to have this conversation mm-hmm. in public. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> and then who made the lemon pie um, where a listener... Um, I love lemon pie. Right? That's, so good. And so the person who made the lemon pie... Um, because she's not here, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is Nadia, because she was just like, yo, oh. I'm going to ask a question, so I'm still present and yes, available Nadia. for the podcast, yes. because she's always here of course. to do the good work, yeah. because we love her forever and always. <laughs> forever um, and always. And then, can I get a to-go plate where we wrap things up, um, wrap up the lemon pie, send it home with the little extras, because you know, you always want to nibble on lemon pie. Of course. That's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Cute. I'm excited. 
Hey, Josh. Hello. All right, we're digging in. <laughs> yes, let's dig in. Okay, so it's been a little bit of time since this whole Chessy Smollett thing Ooh. has been going on. Yes. And Josh has been there. I've spoken on a couple of, I mean, I speak to Josh about this literally every single day. Mm. Like, every mm-hmm. time there's an update, I'm like, Josh. And Josh is like, no. <laughs> like, Isaac's about to yell again. Because <laughs> like, I get so mad about it. Um but I haven't talked about it on the podcast because yeah. last episode we were um, covering what was happening in January. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get to speak about what was going on with Jesse Smollett. Mm-hmm. And also mm-hmm. it being Black History Month, it just made me even more mad yeah. that all of these things were happening. But if you don't know, um, Jesse Smollett was assaulted um, on the streets of Chicago by two masked people. Um, the assault, Jesse was saying, was um, riddled with, like, uh, racial and homophobic Mm -hmm, slurs. mm -hmm. There was a noose involved. It was very, very scary. Um, Something that, like, scares me on a regular basis as a black queer person. Like, it just seemed like that could have happened to me at any point in time. Like, just Mm -hmm. in general. Mm -hmm. Um, So, the investigation started. Um, The next thing we know, the uh, Chicago PD is, like, going after Jesse, saying that Jesse lied and, like, the whole entire, like, case flipped and it was, like, going after Jesse to prove that he had falsely reported a hate crime. Mm-hmm. And so, as things continue to, un- like, ravel, um, all the people who have been following this have... <laughs> all the people who have been following this have... Um, noticed that, like, the accounts are switching, like, everything's going back mm-hmm. and forth, mm-hmm. but... For me, like I just want to talk about the way that the way that people are responding to the information. Yeah. Like as much as I'm like knew that the world was homophobic and I knew the world was racist, it astounds me how flip floppy people can be and how yep. quick people like follow trends. Like it was so controversial like a week ago to believe still believe that Jesse was telling the truth. And now that it's coming out that the police lied, which happens all the time, mm-hmm. especially for black and brown people. Mm-hmm. Now everybody's like, well, we don't really know because the whole thing is it's like he has that dual intersect intersecting identity of being black and gay. Yep. And because of that, for some reason, a whole bunch of cis het like, black people are not living for Jesse right now. And some gay black people are not living for Jesse right now. And then, as usual, like, white folks are not living for Jesse in general because he, they're like, well, he's only doing this for, like, publicity and money. Which, like, yeah, that's a bigger conversation. Like, black people who are exploiting, like, black people in pain to, like, get behind them. Specifically celebrities who get behind them when they're doing something because they want to make more money. Like, I, I'm very high, like I'm very critical of those things. But this situation in itself was a hate crime. Whatever happened, even then, is still the reality of what's going on in this world often. And so it's very difficult for me to, like, trust people right now like or believe anybody. Like, especially, like... The people who are doing the work are like organizing, are like public figures who are talking about it. Like everything, like was turned on its head halfway through Black History Month, where I was just kind of like, can't trust anybody who speaks out about like mm-hmm. justice or like equality or equity or anything of that nature. Because I'm having this conversation about Jesse Smollett and all these spaces, and there's so many people who I trusted who are just like, no, that's not how it's gonna go, mm-hmm. and it's like really wild to me. Um, and so I just needed to get that off my chest. Yeah, Um, so there's, like, two things that I find really interesting about, what like, everything that happened and how things have played out in the past couple of weeks. mm -hmm. And I think one of them being just the idea that 
like someone is innocent until proven guilty mm-hmm. and like how as soon as evidence came out that like Chicago PD like had alleged that the assault was like done by Jesse, mm-hmm. like everybody like flipped, like you said. It was this total flip of everyone being like, oh, now he's guilty. Like he's done it. He's this horrible person. And that's not how it works. And like, yeah, like maybe they found that evidence, but there's like still, there was never any like sort of trial or nothing, nothing has happened to like mm-hmm. actually in like a court of law say like he's guilty or he's innocent. And until that happens, you're still t- supposed to assume that that person is innocent. Right. And no one did that. Yeah. And the other thing is, like you said in the panel, that really just gets me is the fact that there were 32 investigators that worked on this case. Right. There was so much resources that were put into this, like investigating this hate crime. There was, it happened really fast. Mm -hmm. And there was so much national media, like, surrounding it. But nobody, like, that is brown or black and queer in that intersection ever gets that same, like, Uh or even, like, close to it. Right. Like, it's only when it's a high-profile individual that, like, you get this same response. And I think that's really unfortunate. I feel like not a lot of people are paying attention to that. And I think it really needs to be paid attention to. Exactly. And that's, like, just thinking about how many, like, black trans women were murdered last year. Mm -hmm. Like, just trans people Mm -hmm. in general who were murdered. It was over how many days of the year we've had. Like, it was over 365. Mm -hmm. So, like, the fact that this is happening so quickly means that this could happen quicker in other courts of law, like across the nation, um, which is frustrating to know that, like, because of the high profile, like, profile, like, participants in this is the reason why it's happening so fast. And also, it being in Chicago, where there is that huge, like, racial disparity piece that happens mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. Like, there's literal actual segregation in that city, and it's based on race mm-hmm. because of the, and the over-policing of the black neighborhoods in that, like, in the city. Like, it's very hard to, like, sit there and watch this and not critique it from that sociological, like, back lens of being, like, all of this is only happening because it's Jazzy and because it's a high-profile black queer person. Yep. And even with that, it's only there to, like— disenfranchise his existence so somebody can hold that and be like, well, that's the reason why I ran over a black queer person because obviously they lie. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be able to get away with this. And it's all happening all around the same time of like Trayvon Martin's birthday and the like anniversary of his death. Like there's things like that. Like black history must should not be like this, first and foremost. Mm. Let's talk about that. (laughs) There's like, it's so hard to find joy this black history month and I don't know Mm. why. So I think that um, it's been decided that we're just going to take over June because, you know, Juneteenth and all those other things. So that should be taken care of soon. I'm okay. just going to file that petition right now. Of course. Mm-hmm. If you need help in that, just let me know. Yeah. Always got to get your accomplices involved. You of know, course. None of, of us course. can get these things done without white accomplices for some odd reason. Anyway. Some odd one. reason. I just, uh, it's very frustrating. <laughs> it's very, very frustrating. It's reasonable. Anyway, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> it's just been very different vibe. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta find a balance. <laughs> <laughs> so when you brought this up, I was like, what's happening in pop culture at this moment? And uh, I was on my lunch break <laughs> and was reading this article. Actually, it wasn't reading the article. I was watching a video of the um, performance of the Oscars the other day mm-hmm. um, with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. <laughs> and Lady I, Gaga. Lady Gaga. And I am just... I'm convinced that they had a love affair. Um, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
So, you, okay, you saw Stars Born, right? Of course. You saw their chemistry. Okay. <laughs> so, I think at that time, Lady Gaga had a partner, and as well as Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper still has a girlfriend who is in the audience. And if you, it's just like you watch this video, and like, I could not help but think that like something has happened between the two of them. And it's just like, that kind of chemistry, like, I'm into it. I love it. But I just felt so awkward. Like, I, I felt the awkwardness for um, Bradley's partner that's in the audience because it's just, like, I don't know how to explain it. I don't know how to explain it, Isaac. But I had hoped you would, would have seen this, that I could, like, fully, like, you know. I didn't really watch the Oscars. I didn't really watch anything I, I only the watched this. Yeah, it's, I don't know. So the thing is... <clears throat> My feelings about A Star is Born is very jaded. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because I remember when I was, like, going to see it, I saw it by myself. First mistake. Okay, yeah, saw it agreed. Myself. First mistake. Because I thought it was going to be this cute movie about this woman's rise to fame. <laughs> I thought it was going to be adorable. My mom didn't prepare me <laughs> for this storyline. So I was watching this movie, and I was like, oh, this is cute. Mm. And then all of a sudden, the mental illness stuff started happening, mm. and I completely forgot that there was love involved in this movie. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it was panic. So mm-hmm. it was very panic. And then everything happened. But um, so, one, two, like, the movie already just brings up trauma. Like, in my head, it's yeah. very triggering. Like, I just yeah. can't engage with it. Yeah. Two, I don't like the song, Shall. Really? Mm-mm. Controversy. I don't think so because Lady Gaga yells sings. She doesn't really sing sing. And like I like like Just Dance Lady Gaga, like Poker Face Lady Gaga, Bad Romance Lady Gaga, mm. like the cute bops that she sings that aren't really singing. But then even with that, like Born This Way was a bomb album and after that everything started going downhill. Art pop was a lot. Joanne gave me a little bit more. Yeah. So it's just, like, anytime they're involved, like, I'm super happy that she was, like, doing all this stuff in the movie. Like, Shangela and Willem were in it, and you know how much I love RuPaul's mm-hmm. Drag Race. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, that was cool, but I just don't follow Bradley Cooper. Well, I do follow Bradley Cooper very closely. He's a very attractive man. Mm. Um, but Lady Gaga, not so much. <laughs> interesting, interesting. I watched a documentary, though. It gave me a little bit more I insight. that, too, Yeah. Hmm. But yeah, I don't. I just don't think that's a thing. I just feel like Lady Gaga goes for people who are tattooed like skeletons. I don't know, Isaac. I feel like they had to at least once. Mm, I, I don't know. know. Ooh, if we're in this thread, who do you think is famous and gotten together but aren't together right now? Oh, hmm. this is something I should think about more. Yeah, mind, always. That's wild. That's something to come back to. Agree. Anyway, I'll, I'll ask Natty the question later on. Like, <laughs> on this podcast, after we have this discussion later. <laughs> Josh. Yeah. Welcome to the Grown Folks Table, where we talk about the topic of the day. Okay. So I'm not going to tell people what the topic of the day is, but it's kind of going back to the old table podcast roots of where I interviewed my friends who I invited to the table to talk about things that they're good at mm-hmm. or want to talk about. Mm-hmm. And since I know what you're good at, I'm going to get you to tell people what you're good at, mm-hmm. and then we're going to talk about it. Okay. So the first question is, what are you passionate about? What am I passionate about? Oh, wow. That's a big question, Isaac Sanders. Mm-hmm. I think what I'm passionate about is health, mm-hmm. very largely. Um, and that's one of the reasons that I went into public health was mm-hmm. because, um, you know, I took this class in undergrad 
Shout out to Deb Hinchy, my favorite human being that exists on this earth. Um, I hope she hears this someday. <laughs> so one of my first public health classes that I ever took at the University of Washington, um, they talked about how doctors, nurses, EMTs, they are kind of a retroactive approach to health. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you think of health as like a river um, and people are like walking over a bridge to cross this river, there are people that are falling through. There's like a, a hole in the bridge. The doctors, the nurses, the EMTs, all those individuals would be the people at the end of the river right before the waterfall that are like pulling people out of the water. And they okay. can't pull out everybody, but they're doing as well as they can. Mm-hmm. A public health official would be more <clears throat> upstream where um, they're looking at that bridge and they're saying, well, there's a hole in that bridge. Why don't we just fix the hole in the bridge and then people won't fall through as often. Right. They might fall off the bridge every once in a while, but they're not going to fall through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was one of the best ways that I've ever had public health explained to me because a lot of people don't understand what it is. Right. Um, and it's really trying to take a more proactive and preventative approach to health mm-hmm. um, and address health disparities and socioeconomic determinants of health um, before someone reaches the state of needing to go to the hospital or the clinic or seeking care. Um, And so I'm just really passionate about people having equitable access to healthcare Mm -hmm. Um, and healthcare being like so many different services though, not just like going to a clinic, but like having access to healthy foods Mm -hmm. and being able to go to like um, a preventative care provider or anything that is going to make them as healthy as possible, um, I think fits within public health. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I think, one of the <laughs> best, that, like my, one of my favorite and least favorite parts of public health is how broad it is. Mm-hmm. So I think really it encompasses so many different aspects and it's most so multi-sectorial. That's what I really love about public health. Yeah. But it also feels like sometimes we're trying to take on the world as a public health official um, or you just have to like focus on one very specific thing because it's so broad. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Which is fascinating. So I remember whenever Josh first kind of explained what public health was to me because I know what public health is like from an academic sense of like, I have my MSW, which is social work. Public health is like social work, but we're in like the health profession. Mm-hmm. And like when I say health profession, I mean like doctors and EMTs and stuff like that. So I actually had no idea what it was. Yeah. Um, but I knew that community health was something and I knew that was important for some yeah. of the communities that I serve, right? Yeah. And so it was fascinating because now that I have this insight of what public health actually is, I feel like I can do my job even better because I know what services public health actually does mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how that can serve homeless populations or how it can sh- serve LGBTQ populations or if it can serve, like, black and brown people better. Because, like, <clears throat> like Josh was saying, like, health disparities and um, – health inequities especially are common to most marginalized people because those are the people who are falling through the holes. They skinny, they ain't got food. That's Mm -hmm, why they fall through the holes. mm -hmm. Actually, it'd be the other way around because unhealthy foods. But anyway, not the point. Not always. Um, Yeah, true, true, true. Um, But it's kind of helpful because, like I was saying, like with Josh's insight, I feel like I can kind of do social work better. Mm. And I think it's because like a lot of the times you talk about it from like how broad it is. Social work is very, very broad. Mm -hmm. And like... Most people think we're just direct service, like, clientele, and we're, like, 
um, the ones who like work for CPS and come and steal your children, but we mm. do so much more than that in the mm-hmm. same sense that public health is way more than that. So I just find it fascinating how intersected those very, like, very intersected. Wor- the intersected the work is, but we don't actually talk about how intersected the work is. And I think I I think we also, you know, the fields in general are not great about working together collaboratively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I feel like we've drawn very dis- like is intertwined as these two fields are and as similar as they are. I feel mm-hmm. like we should be collaborating a lot. But from my experience so far, it seems like there you have social workers on one side and you have public health officials on the other side. And, like, you don't necessarily, like, talk with each other. Mm-hmm. But, like I said, public health is so multisectorial, as is social work, mm-hmm. that you should be talking together. A lot. Talking a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, which is fascinating. But that leads me to my next question. Yes. <laughs> Where is justice focused on in the field you currently work in? Hmm. This is a difficult question for sure. Um, so to give a little bit more background about myself, I uh, work in global health specifically mm-hmm. currently. Um, I work on a team that does epidemic preparedness and response in several countries. And so justice focused in that field. Hmm, definitely let me think about this one. <laughs> Josh doesn't... <laughs> Josh has to process things, which oh, is super funny <laughs> because I don't process anything. I just say what I want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's been fun <laughs> engaging with him in this moment because I'll ask him a question. I didn't prep him for this. I just started asking questions. <laughs> so this is how it's going to be. The whole time. Great. Perfect. <laughs> so I feel like justice in terms of the work that I do very specifically looks a lot like um, – community engagement and community empowerment within the countries that we work. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that global health and public health have not always been great about keeping in mind that you're serving a population and you're supposed to be empowering a community or a population Mm -hmm. rather than saving somebody or saving a person, like a person, a population, a community. I think that was old public health, and I think there's a really big push to change that lens a lot and to talk about more service, empowerment, lifting up communities and giving mm-hmm. them a pedestal to like stand on and advocate for themselves. Um, I think when you're talking epidemic preparedness and response, it's a, it's a difficult um, intersect to find that justice mm-hmm. because it's such a half the work we do is very preparedness based. And I think there's a lot of room for um, like focusing on justice there. And then the part that's like focused on response, that's just like, so like we're focused, like we're doing Ebola right now. We're like trying to respond to Ebola right now. And it's just like every day there's something new and you're barely able to keep up with the new cases. And so Mm -hmm. how do you, like, I don't have a good answer for that. And I only have an undergrad in public health. But <laughs> it's like, how do you, when you're in such like every day is like you are at your maximum. Like mm-hmm. if you're not focusing on this one thing, like people are going to get sick because of it. Like how do you still have those conversations in those spaces? Yeah. Um, I think that's really difficult. But I think in terms of the preparedness side, um, 
I would I would think that that is a lot more about community engagement, mm-hmm. um, knowledge sharing, <clears throat> and then having communities. We've talked about this a little bit. Yeah, is like doing a trainer of trainers. Mm-hmm. Um, so doing like a cultural like a culturally competent training, mm-hmm. and then allowing those communities to take the trainings on and adapt it to their own settings. Because I've never lived in the DRC. No. I wouldn't know any of the realities that they live in every day. Right. Um, and so I think it looks a lot more like that, of letting communities and individuals and populations take ownership of these activities mm-hmm. while still making sure that you're, like, serving them and, like, doing it in a culturally competent way. I don't know. There's not a good answer. I wish I had more expertise. Yeah. I think also it's difficult just because, like like you were saying, you're responding. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily like – it's not the same – well, there is people who are responding directly to those things. There's, like, the direct service people who are, yeah. like, checking in yeah. and doing all that work, like, up front. And mm-hmm. then there's, like, the layers. Like, I just recently went to another meeting and we were talking about the, – there's a story about a river. I'm going to tell you the story. Ooh, so another river another river I don't like you said the river story and I was like whoa are we in the same <laughs> world <laughs> like, um, but there's a story about these children in a river okay. so one day there's like there's children they're just floating in the river <laughs> look follow what me, these follow children me. doing in the river great hello question. great question. where are their parents <laughs> nobody knows where the kids are coming from okay so there's this one person who starts jumping in the river mm-hmm. and starts getting the babies because, like, babies coming out the river. Like, we're grabbing the babies. We're grabbing the babies. She's, like, I'm going to – it's women. Women are powerful. They're going to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they shouldn't have to do it, but this is the situation, the scenario we're yeah. in. Um, so they jump in the river, and, like, one woman jumps in the river and retrieves the babies. Okay. She passes them off to another person. Um, they can be non-binary. <laughs> they like wipe the baby off, like like make sure the baby's clean. Then they realize, oh, all these babies need diapers. So like one person starts putting the diapers on the babies, and it becomes this well-oiled machine of like services that are like being given to these babies mm-hmm. that are coming down the river. Mm-hmm. Where are these babies coming from? Because we're so focused on the babies coming down the river, we're not actually focusing on stopping or trying to figure out where the babies are coming from mm-hmm. because there's so many babies at the bottom of the river. It's our, it's already impossible for us to move up there. And I feel like it's a lot different where in social work or like social justice spaces, you can really like pinpoint like the problem that is structural, structural or systemic mm-hmm. where in public health, specifically in epidemiology, you have to like try and stop something that is literally a virus that's taking over people's bodies. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a lot different in the aspect of like the response team has to just make sure nothing bad is happening. Mm-hmm. And there's probably best practices um, around it and also working with yeah. cultural competency are allowing the community themselves to do it. But like mm-hmm. there's a level of understanding and knowledge. Like you use the word expertise, where in my field, it's like the youth are the expertise of their own stories. Like my clients are the expertise of themselves. Mm-hmm. So like I can't give them, I can give them resources, but I can't give them knowledge yeah. to know themselves better. Yeah. Um, because I'm not a counselor. That's a whole different job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, that's a lot. But I kind of like the fact that you separated those things. No, I, I think, I think you're, you bring up a really good point. Um, one of the things that I would point to is, again, the Ebola example, we're already there. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Let's keep talking about Ebola. Just light things like that, you know. 
Um, if <laughs> anybody that's listening to this, please look up what's currently happening in the DRC because I feel like no one actually knows what's happening except if you work in this field, and that's really sad and frustrating to me. Um, I only know because Josh told me. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so one of the things that we've realized um, is there, like, you're talking about these children floating down the river. No one mm-hmm. knows where they're coming from. Um, that makes me think of some of the current cases that we see with Ebola and the DRC. Um, two of the ones that I think about when you talk about that is actually um, just practices within the community. So, like, one of the, like, um, a couple of the pot, like the communities within the DRC, um, when someone passes away due to any cause, um, when they're having a funeral, like a very well-known practice is to wash the dead. And I'm not exactly sure what the reasoning is for doing so, but they do do that. And when you're talking about a virus like Ebola that is emitted through the skin after you die, like the virus stays on you mm-hmm. for a really long time. And so... It actually just becomes a space where a lot of people end up getting infected, um, which is really unfortunate. Um, and so when individual, like when response efforts first started happening, actually with, I think, the West Africa Ebola outbreak in 2014, mm-hmm. 2015, um, people just couldn't have funerals. Like it was just, it was not, it was not great about approaching it in a culturally competent way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's one of those things where it's like right now there's education practices happening and like making sure that bur- like burials are like secure and that like um, it's like very like they're able to do that, but like they have all the precautions so that they won't get the disease if that makes sense. Okay. And so it's like looking at things like that, like in the future, like if this were to happen, like how would you approach that to make sure that like, the communities are still able to have all their practices and they still have dignified like burials that are in line with their spiritual practices, mm-hmm. but also will not get them sick. Um, things like that. And then I forgot what my second one was. So. I'm learning way too much. <laughs> in my life. Um, so <clears throat> any other fields that you feel like in, intersect like social justice and public health that you know of. You don't have to talk about everything that you know. I'm sorry. Because mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. I know you'll try. I, I could try. Um, again, awkward silence because I need to think. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like I feel like there is a space for justice in all aspects of public health. Uh, and there sh- if there's not currently, there should be a space for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so much of the um, inequalities that we see in terms of health and the disparities that we see in the differences, like, are due to racist practices that happened, that have happened for centuries within America. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, everywhere um and so it, it's it's one of those things where it's like if you are not thinking about undoing what has been done and creating equitable solutions um to a lot of the things that we see now and creating justice like mm-hmm. it's you're not going to achieve any sort of like you're not going to close those gaps that you right. see in the inequalities and so i think if there's not 
a space for justice in each one of the subsects of public health there mm -hmm. should be um and like, like there's i think one of the other fields of public health that does it really well is like nutrition and food okay. security um recognizing that so many individuals that do not have access to healthy foods to cheap and healthy foods specifically are usually marginalized communities um they're rural communities um and i think in the last 10 15 years you've seen a lot more focus of saying okay we see this disparity we see that like marginalized communities are the ones that are most affected by this why is that and then going back to like red lighting like all like all this like <laughs> there's so much like i could go on and on about this <laughs> and like the history of like why we see some of the inequalities and disparities that we do now mm -hmm. um and so really taking more of a justice approach to those i think is completely necessary and yes. I, I like that some fields in public health are trying to take that and i think there are others that could do it better yeah I think one that we can talk about that we both can agree on is reusable straws. <laughs> yes, let's, let's talk about reusable straws. So the other day, Who are we? Um, honestly, this is what we talk about on a daily basis. Um, like sitting on a date, this is literally what we talked about. Uh, so, uh, so Josh tells me he's about public health. We start talking about um, environmental rights. And I was mm. like, reusable straws, because that's all I know about it, right? So I'm talking about how reusable <laughs> straws, because I want to argue, because y'all know course, who I am. Of course. And so I'm like, reusable straws are not, like, equitable because they cannot be used for people who need them to bend because the reusable straws aren't bendable. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you what I found the other day. Mm. I sent a picture to Josh to show him. I was so I'm excited. <laughs> and they're colorful. And they're colorful. <laughs> so I found bendy reusable straws. Where did you find those, actually? I was quite oh, curious. God, it was at a custom smoothies. Oh, really? It's a local smoothie joint in mm -hmm. Seattle, but there's like that and Emerald City smoothies. And I think Emerald yeah. City smoothies yeah. also has them because they get smoothies and then you need reusable straws, of course. Exactly. Yeah. So it was kind of cool because I was like, what? And the lady in the like, she was like, why are you so excited? I'm like, it's a reusable straw that bends. Like it was very flexible. It was like very movable. It was machine washable. Like everything about it was great. And um, but that was the thing of like what Josh had mentioned whenever I was telling him about it. It's like people are in the public health sphere are having these conversations. They're like, yes, this isn't equitable. And we like heard about that and we read all the articles about it. So this is what we're going to do to respond to it. And it's so fascinating because even in my field, I feel like sometimes they don't respond quick enough, like mm. especially the NASW, like it doesn't respond as fast to like these um discrepancies in like the system that we've already created of social work or like mm -hmm. the same thing with public health or public administration or any like professionalized degree because they like create this like like subsect of like group that's like supposed to do all this work but then they hold up those truths that they're going to keep it like very white very cishet mm -hmm. very um able-bodied privileged like stuff like that where now um I feel like it's broken down, and that's the first time I've ever read anything about public health, but also, again, don't know much about public health. I'm not going to sit here and be like, I know everything. <laughs> um, that's real. But yeah. And for those that don't know the background of that conversation, um, the reason that bendy straws are so important was because when reusable straws first came out, 
they're very rigid. Like mm-hmm. you, especially like the ones you get like Starbucks or like places like those. They're paper, and as soon as you bend them, like they start God. leaking. <laughs> or like any of the like reusable straws that you can buy yourself are like usually like metal or they're plastic, but they're straight up and down. And for individuals that have accessibility, like um, might have like physical disabilities, mm-hmm. it can be really difficult to um, not use plastic straws that are bendy yeah. um, because they might not have those same like motor capabilities in which they could like grasp a cup and like lift it up to their mouth or like tilt, even just tilt a cup, you know, like it's so different. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't accessible for all of the individuals that it should have been. Yep. Um, and so one of the really great things was a huge pushback, like once this was, you know, once this policy was put forth by the city of Seattle, people being like, but this isn't inaccessible. And then you saw like, okay, how do we make this accessible? Because this is a really great solution to a dumb problem of being plastic straws are just a like, dumb problem. They shouldn't exist. Sorry, I again, very passionate about this. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then you saw, like, okay, how do we change this? How do we make it better? How do we make it accessible? And you saw it really fast, and I yeah. really appreciate that. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so I did some research about mm. public health because, once again, I know nothing. Um, but there is, like, different public health issues and knowledge sharing. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to just ask you a whole bunch of questions about them because oh, I pulled them all God. from the National Association of, what is that word? Oh, Lord, I can't read this. Um, National Association County of City. County and City Health Officials. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and so there's health inequality, public education around like health disparities and health inequalities, climate change, which you care a lot about, Mm. food deserts, Mm -hmm. epidemics and epidemic planning, which is your job, and then community care, which Mm. I think is the most important Mm -hmm. because I love community. Mm. Ding. Ding. So how how do we, you just want me to like... What do you know about health inequalities? What is the top thing that I should know about health inequalities if I know nothing about public health, specifically in the intersection of supporting marginalized communities? Mm. What's like a fact that you know? That's about just, that's such an easy thing to answer. I'd say yeah. <laughs> thank you for just <laughs> plopping that on me. <laughs> um, hmm. It was quiet. I didn't like it. Um, health inequalities. Like, in my mind, like, when I think of health inequalities, I think of, like, Flint, Michigan, or, like, any kind of water crisis um, in America around marginalized populations being um, closer to water or, like, non-clean water. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, Flint, Michigan. Um, there was something I read when I was looking at, like, I, I environmental feminism. I think when I'm thinking health inequity, you know, it's, like, it's... For instance, in Seattle, and don't quote me on these numbers because I don't know them off the top of my head, but the difference in just something like life expectancy, which is a very, like, it's one of the most basic indicators we use in public health and global health to assess, like, overall, like, access to resources, healthy foods, um, going to clinics, all that good stuff. It's a really good baseline indicator. The difference between North Seattle, like Green Lake, um, Ballard area, versus South Seattle, like going to like Tukwila, SeaTac area. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, it's a difference of almost 20 years. Whoa. Um, and so that's still within the same city. Mm-hmm. Those are just different neighborhoods within that city. And if you dive down even 
deeper than that, you would see that Seattle is very segregated. Right. Um, so in North Seattle, you have a very large white majority population, very wealthy areas like mm-hmm. Green Lake and Ballard, whereas Tukwila and SeaTac area is a lot more immigrant communities, communities of color, a lot more lower income communities. And you have things like food deserts. You have things like not having access to good quality health care, or if there is quality health care, it's expensive. Um, or if there is health care, it could be miles away and there might not be great transportation. All these different things right. go into health inequity. And just like, just like, that's really sad to see. Cause you think of like, oh, like in the US, we've got it like pretty good in terms of health, but, like, it's the other countries in, like, Africa or South America that, like, aren't doing it well, whereas, like, just even within Seattle, there's that huge discrepancy, Um, and that's just, that's always boggled my mind, and I think if you wanted to, like, give the best example of health inequity, that would be it. Okay. So, I feel like, yeah, the public education issue, I think, is just, like, more talking about, like, who has access to, like, healthy food education and stuff like that. Mm. So I read today, um, and I actually printed it out. Um, I have it in my backpack. Um, so I was reading today that the there is a twenty three billion difference, uh, a racial like. I wish I had like had the time to fully read it so that I could like approach mm-hmm. this topic with a lot of expertise, but. Yeah. Of course, busy day at work. Anywho, uh, and so it was talking about how in predominantly, like the difference between like predominantly white neighborhoods and predominantly mm-hmm. like um, neighborhoods of color, yeah. um, you see that there is a difference in terms of funding for public education and public school dif- uh, school systems of tw- $23 billion. Excuse me? Exactly. Um, I'm going to fight. As one should, as everybody should, <laughs> please take up arms. Uh, it's, it's again that like, again like inequity when it comes to public education. The places, not saying that you couldn't get really quality teachers in a place that doesn't have as good of resources, mm-hmm. but it's a tougher place to work. Like you're not going to get as good of benefits, which isn't going to attract like as many individuals who like aren't as, like, you know, you're going to get the people that are really passionate about doing this work of, like, um, it's just, like, I don't know. Or, like, not having, you'll have, like, huge class, like, 50 kids to one teacher, things like that. Or, like, not great cafeteria food. Right, Um, it's the... Like, physical education. like doesn't happen. Like, all of that, all these things, just, like, within education. And it's, uh, yeah. That's wild. I'm just... (laughs) Anyway, climate change. Josh can talk about this for hours. He loves sea animals. Mm, do love sea animals. Um, what do you want to know? Like, just <laughs> okay. So, like, all these are so broad. <laughs> I know they're really, really broad. I don't even know what I meant by rapid fire because we're like mm. deep, deep diving into like small sections of them. Did you want me to be like, oh, this fact, this fact? This, I don't. I don't I know what that. I expected from okay. you. It was kind of like I don't know. <laughs> I'm very confused about what I was expecting. Um, talk briefly about climate change and the work that I know you've done, but I know 
nobody knows else knows what Orca is. So. I, shout out to Orca. Shout out to Artie Quevin, like favorite human beings again. Um, tied with Deb Hinchy. Shout out again. Um, so Orca is the uh, Ocean Research College Academy. Uh, it's a running start program. So um, I don't know how many people have experience with Running Start or know what that is, but essentially what it is is the last two years of high school, instead of being at a traditional high school, you're actually at a community college or like a, a community college where you're getting credit. So the Ocean Research College Academy, ORCA, um, is a two-year program in which you're doing marine biological-based research while still getting like your credits and social sciences, humanities, and all that great stuff. And it's really tied in to like the first humanities class. You talk about like the philosophy of like nature writing, um, and then you're spending like every week you're going out on like a research cruise um, to Possession Sound to like take um, what we like refer to as like the vitals of the sound. Um, so looking at things like um, marine mammal sightings, um, salinity of the water, all these changes that we now have a baseline of, um, and seeing changes over time. And sadly, we are seeing some changes even. And it's I, I was the 10th cohort. Uh, I think they're on 15 now, which is crazy. Um, but even within those 10 years, we had a baseline data in which you were already starting to see shifts uh, due to climate change or due to the increase of the population of Everett, um, more traffic within the sea area. Um, and all of this was just impacting um, the Everett area. But again, <laughs> health inequities, um, it's usually not um, wealthy, predominantly white areas that are affected by like climate change. Like, sure, they'll feel like, when we're talking about like the dire consequences of climate change in like 50 years, like, Sure, like those populations will feel that it's like hotter out and that kind of stuff. But the people that are going to be like affected by that, and like the people that are likely going to be like dying from that, in all honesty, are marginalized communities, low income communities. Um, and so it's just always in my mind, it's like if you're already seeing in that area, what are you seeing in some place that like doesn't have as great policies regarding like marine pollution or like all these things? Fascinating. I don't know why you know all this information, and it's just so fascinating. It's a different <laughs> world in mine. Um, we touched on food deserts already, and mm -hmm. epidemics and epidemic plan planning was your whole entire conversation about mm -hmm. what you actually do. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about community care, and then we can jump on over to something else community care is actually i would love to hear your perspective on this because this is probably care. what i know like I, I i couldn't define it for you and so maybe after mm -hmm. you define it, i'm like oh that's what it is but it's one of those things where it's like when you say that it seems really broad to me so. yeah it is really really broad yeah. so when i think of community care i feel like it is a combination of like figuring out what health inequities exist in specific communities so mm -hmm. like like south seattle mm -hmm. comparative to north seattle like south seattle has a lot of programs yeah. that they utilize for like young people yeah. and most of those programs involve like education around like trying to fight for like radical like racial justice or stuff like that but also there is food programs there's like a um like a local uh green like mm -hmm. green planting center mm -hmm. in south seattle um uh, behind like a YMCA where kids learn how to grow their own plants because they know that there is no, there's like a 
as close. There's like a QFC and there's one. Mm -hmm. And it's like closer to central Seattle than anything else. And so they're like working on planting these like um, growth areas across the city. Mm -hmm. So they have access to like natural foods and it's not like all fast food. It's not kids just going to the local like grocery store. Not grocery store, but like convenience store and grabbing like chips Mm -hmm. or like really, really old apples are, like, processed foods where they actually grow and, like, produce work, which is, like, super common, in my opinion, in a lot of white spaces. Like, they start there and then they, like, expand out. But it was, like, when I was in Washington, Uh D.C., when they were having, like, community gardens in very, um, like, black neighborhoods are very, like, specific areas that they placed there for these programs that specifically spoke to black and brown folks. Mm -hmm. So it's, like, fascinating how that looks like for community care, or it's, like, clinics that are specific to one population, specifically immigrant populations, especially in Seattle. Um, Because I feel like they're... It's, like, that thing um, of, like, we're not... It's, like, what segregation kind of took away from, like community mm-hmm. care mm-hmm. and like or not segregation but integration when it was yeah. like okay all of these black ki- and brown kids are going to the white schools now we're going to tear down the black schools so there's mm-hmm. like the infrastructure of destroying the community that you already existed in because we're going to put you in the one that's right mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and I put air quotes up because it's not about right it's okay. about making sure that the community is able to like lift up their like youth or their people in a way that's as equitable, like healthy wise, but also in general. Because mm-hmm. I feel like community care is that one intersection yeah. that like social work, public health, public policy, public administration, like all of those things touch that mm-hmm. because it's like all encompassing of like what the community actually has, what the community actually is doing, mm-hmm. how they're giving back, which is not necessarily something they have to do, but that's what happens. Yeah. So it's like giving back to them. Yeah. Wow, I definitely need to look into that more. Yes, um, I, I feel like I know portions of that, like you know that um, that uh, clinic that was focused on like immigrants that mm-hmm. we were talking about in ID. Um, but I, I definitely need to look into that more. That's really yes. awesome. It's really really cool. But anyway, anyway, my head hurts. Same. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Josh. Hey, I say. Guess who brought the lemon pie? Um, I have an inkling. Um, you have an inkling? Yeah. That it was someone who's getting some, a little bit of FOMO that they might not be here Not today. FOMO. That's so rude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, with love. With love. No. With love. I mean that in the nicest way. Oh, no. Oh no, she's gonna be so mad if she listens to it. Um, if she listens to it, ooh, look, tea. Sometimes you don't like hearing your own voice. It's very frustrating. But she wouldn't sometimes. hear this. I mean, who knows? Um, so <laughs> Nadia asked, <laughs> "How do you deal with imposter syndrome when you're looking for a new job?" Mm. And she asked that because that's something that. I've been doing. She knows that that's something I've been doing. But in general, like, dealing with imposter syndrome is a really, really good question. I think that's something that I've dwelled into multiple times this month around just, like, feeling like I fit in different spaces or stuff like that. But Mm -hmm. you can go first, Josh. No, I I want you to take this one. As you know, it takes me time to think about these (laughs) subjects. 
Um, yeah, so if nobody knows what imposter syndrome is, which I know people do know what it is, but just for a recap, imposter syndrome is that feeling that you get where you feel like you're not supposed to be in a space. Um, the first time that I ever experienced it was when I was in college. Um, it can be like an overt person telling you that you don't belong here, mm. or it can be like an internalized feeling of like, this space isn't like good for me. It makes me feel like really, really bad. Um, are you just constantly questioning yourself? It's very much like a trauma response of like paranoia to everything that you're doing. Um, even if you are fully qualified for something, you don't risk anything because you're like, this is not going to work for me because I'm not good enough for this place. Nobody's going to choose me for it. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like everybody experiences it regardless of your identities. But um, for me, it shows up a lot, specifically um, when I was in grad school and undergrad. I didn't feel like I deserved anything, mm -hmm. um, even though I know that I've worked really, really hard for all the things that I have acquired and brought into my life. But it feels like as much as you do, like you're still a child. You don't know what's going on. You feel very inadequate. Um, but when looking for a job specifically, it's really, really hard because you'll look at qualifications and you will match every single one of them. But you read the job description, and you're just kind of like, nobody's going to hire me for that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't have this like skill set. This is not what I know. But it's like you literally went to school for all these things because I did go to school for all these things. It's wild. Like um, management positions, they scare the hell out of me. Mm. I have no idea how to manage another human being. I don't know why somebody would listen to me. Like even like the teenagers that I was like, like lived at the house that I worked in. I didn't know why they listened to me. I didn't know what I was doing. Half the time I tell them like, I'm only <laughs> seven years older than you. I'm not supposed to know what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. So why are you asking me these questions? Like, mm. It's hard to mentor people, but to be, like, a manager and supervise someone and be, like, this is what you should do. Like, I don't know the evidence-based practice behind this. Like, I don't know if my, like, knowledge system is good enough to actually serve someone else. And that's, like, really questionable. Like, those are the things that go through my head when I'm thinking of, like, management or, like, a different job most of the time. It's like, mm -mm, I can't do that. Nobody's going to listen to me. Oh, they're not going to take me seriously. And I think also another layer of that is like because I'm a person of color and because I'm queer, I feel like people don't take me seriously often. And so I have to present myself in a very specific way for people to um, take me seriously. Mm -hmm. But then I made a commitment to myself to be authentic in most places that I show up. So it's like that balance is something that mm -hmm. plays a big part in my imposter syndrome and a lot of self-loathing. Mm. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Yeah. So big question. I I think when I've experienced imposter syndrome, it has been in the workplace of not how to explain it. So when I'm comfortable in a space, I am usually pretty flamboyant mm -hmm. in the way that I talk. I'm very confident with myself. Um and I'll wear a lot of floral. Like, I am just very, I'm laid back person. Um, but when I first enter, especially like a professional environment, when I'm walking into a job interview, um, when I first started a job, I will dress very conservative. Like, I'll have like the whole like suit and tie thing. My voice, I will like change my voice so that I'm not sounding gay mm -hmm. um, because I've had work environments in which it's not a great space for someone to be gay. Um, and it's just, like, I, I change. I'm not my most authentic self when I first enter, like, a professional space. And I think that's mm -hmm. really, like, unfortunate. 
Um, and I, I remember one time, actually, it was where I'm currently working. I It was the first time I wore floral to the job. Because uh, I have like this, I'm wearing it currently. <laughs> I have this floral shirt that I am in love with. Uh, it like I don't even know where it's from, but anyways, I've had it for like a year now, and I like slowly became more of my like authentic, authentic, authentic self once I became comfortable in my work environment. Mm-hmm. So, um, not wearing a tie every day to like only wearing ties when I knew I was gonna have like meetings with external partners. Or, like, um, not, like, you know, tucking in my shirt. Like, just, like, you know, things like that. (laughs) But anyways, uh, the first time that I wore this shirt, everybody commented on it. And they were like, oh, my God, I love your shirt. That's, like, the greatest shirt that I've ever seen. And I was like, I know, right? And I was just like, it was, (laughs) as silly as it sounds, floral to me is very equated with my, like, sexuality and how I present myself in my, like, feminine like the feminine side of me mm-hmm. uh and so people complimenting that like in me was like oh it's okay that like i'm not always this masculine person or like some days i am more masculine presenting and other days i'm not and like people are okay with that and like becoming more of my authentic self and being comfortable there um i don't know my recommendation would be to like all i don't know it's a different situation for me obviously um because of my identities uh, and so, like, my recommendation would be to, like, always try and be your most authentic authentic self because, like, mm-hmm. if you get into a work environment, no matter how great it is, and, like, you're not your truest self, it's going to become toxic and you're not going to stay there a long time. Um, and so – and also, like, why would you want to work for a company that doesn't – isn't able to respect your most authentic self? Like, yeah. no matter how great the job is, like, that's shitty on their part. Yeah. Am I allowed to swear? Oh, my God. <laughs> you know me. Okay. Anyways, so that's me. That's Daniel's that's gonna bleep it out now. <gasps> <laughs> oh no. Um, but yeah, I think the the big thing about imposter syndrome, like looking for a job or applying to schools or just existing in the spaces you already exist in, like you did all the work to get to the point that mm-hmm. you're at. You should flex on that. Like yeah. literally, it's the work that you've done. It doesn't matter if you feel like the people are not going to be accepting to you, they can't, like, debate your worth based on how you present yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, I was, the whole entire time I was in this job interviewing process, I was, like, debating if I should wear lipstick to my, like, um, Mm -hmm. job interviews because, like, eventually, like, what if I wanted to be more feminine in those spaces or, like, fit in in a a box that, or not fit into the box that they expect you to be. Um, But also at the same time, some spaces require you to be presentable. And what does that actually mean? Like like questioning that and challenging that because that is all respectability politics and that is coupled with imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. a lot of the times because I don't have enough money to wear a suit and tie every single day. I don't have all of the means for that. I might have the means for that. But like that's because, that's because of like, the respectability politics that I was growing up with. Yeah. Like, you were expected to dress well and you had to meet these standards because if you didn't, you were not fitting of those spaces. That's and so right. because of that, like, background that I have, it's really easy for me to just be like, no, this costs too much money. I can't put up these props and put on the show and still be able to do this job well because I'm going to be so focused on trying to present this, like, fake person. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be good at this job. And I think... 
for me personally, like around imposter syndrome, it's about asking questions that are going to fuel like the culture that's in the space that you're going into. Like being very upfront from the beginning of like, like, oh, this is why I'm doing this position, but also how like committed to are you guys to like social justice? What is your like policy on what you're wearing and why is it like mm-hmm. that? Are we questioning like questioning constant things or just being very very aware? Because some people are not like as blunt and as direct as I am. Yeah. So just being aware of what other people are wearing and like figuring out like what exactly fits into this mold and if that's what you want to be f- stuck in. Yeah. Um, but also, nobody's an imposter in the spaces that they go into. I think that everybody should feel safe and secure in those spaces. And they should also not have to internalize and feel like they're not good enough. I mean, like, Josh can attest, when I thought something wasn't working out for me in one of the job interviews I was in, I was panicked. Like, I was just like, I'm not good enough to be anything. I'm going to be homeless. Like, it was, like, very dramatic. But it was, like, my mind literally mm-hmm. had, like, mm-hmm. taken off yeah. and just, like, taken me to a different plane. Um, but that's not something – it's hard to fight that. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to um, deal with it. And that's why you have to have supportive people in your life who are going to tell you that you're fine and that you're adequate and that – even if it's not going to work at this job, somebody is going to find you who's going Without to love every piece of you and going to give you as much money as you're asking for and support you in any kind of way in any endeavor that you have. Completely agree. Yep, yeah. Good points, Isaac. Thanks. And that job that you were so afraid went so Let's poorly. Let's not talk. Shut up. Anyways. Shut up. Anyways. Shut up. <laughs> um, anyway, let's wrap things up. Yeah. Um, so, how do we wrap this up, Isaac? Please tell me. <laughs> uh, usually, we talk about Daniel. If you can see yeah, our lovely Daniel. human Daniel, um, if you made it to the end of the one episode that you listened to of my podcast because you actually don't care about me. Um, Ouch! Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, we talk about what Daniel's wearing, which today he has on. A very lumberjack esque mm. outfit he mm-hmm. has on. Does Daniel have hair? Mm. I think he's trying to match you. I think he's bald. Wow. Are we twins? Yes. This is my first time meeting Daniel. So <laughs> he's wearing a beanie right now. Yeah. Uh, it's a very cute beanie, but I can't see his hair at all. And I'm, I cannot tell if he's a Caillou like me or if he's got this luscious mane. I just have no clue. Um, <laughs> Yes, so he's looking like he's he's serving the Seattle lumberjack realness. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely has overalls on, rain boots. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has overalls and rain boots on. It's a the look. rain boots are always bright yellow, Never bright now. yellow. And the lumberjack wear is rhinestoned. He looks like he could be on RuPaul's Drag Race at this moment, as he should be. I mean, if Star. we just threw a wig over the beanie. <laughs> Why? For these house. No, beanie over the wig. A look. A beanie over the wig. <laughs> That'd be such a... Never mind. <laughs> I thought about that. I was like, oh, JK. <laughs> <laughs> and then also, he's wearing beautiful rainbow eyeshadow. Rainbow eyeshadow. Yes. Yeah. With a matching rainbow lip. Mm. Oh, you got a nose piercing. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful nose piercing. It's like a rhinestone. Mm. I think he like used like a earring and just put it in his nose and made it work. I've always wanted to do that. 
I'm really proud that he should that he can pull that off. Yeah, I just can't do that. That's not something I could do. Mm, you could. Anyway. Anyway. Have you ever given flowers to somebody, Josh? I have. Mm-hmm. Have you gotten into the context of just speaking greatly about someone and giving them flowers? Because that's what flower where we're gonna do right now. Wait, what? <laughs> giving somebody flowers. Like for example, I would like to give flowers to Nadia. Mm. Um, although she could not make it today because she's going to travel and do a lot of self care mm-hmm. over this trip. She has been super supportive to me during this process of me trying to figure out the next step of my life. And I always and will like I always stand and love her for everything that she does. And she has um like something on SoundCloud, I don't know what to describe it as because it's like music, but it's not music. Mm. But it's like the spoken word, like um, interlude piece of her poetry that she worked on and she posted today. It's on SoundCloud. It's shared on our SoundCloud account. Mm. I'll share it on the Facebook page also. Mm. It's amazing. Uh, it brought me to tears. I was listening to it when I was going to a job interview and I was just like, why am I crying? And now I can bring this energy into this job interview. <sighs> it was good. That's beautiful. Yes. Do you have any flowers? Will you send me that link? Else? Yes, I will, of course. Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, First and foremost, I need the link. Flowers. Well, I would love to give 11 roses to my friend. Not a dozen. That's too mainstream. Uh, to my dear friend, Lauren Hannah, who you've had the pleasure of meeting. I love Lauren. Love Lauren. She's just one of my... I think this is a human being who deserves the world and who is going to go out and cause so much change and so much radical change in the world for the better. Um, And I'm just so excited to see what she does. And every time I see her, um, we don't get to see each other like super, super often, but every time I do, I've never felt such a warm like hug and presence from somebody. And she's just always so supportive. Like when I told her about job stuff, she was very supportive. And then when I told her about new things that came up with job stuff, equally as supportive and just like wants the best for me. And I think she's one of the greatest human beings that exists. Shout out to supportive girlfriends to all the gays. They're the best. Any other flowers for anybody else? I have so many flowers that I would give. Uh, I think one other would be um, a seven marigolds to the specific <laughs> number of flowers. Why am I not doing this? Why do you always have brilliant ideas, Josh? My mind. <laughs> um, uh, to my friend Hannah Yu. Oh, Stan Hannah. Hannah is just. Hannah's, like, again, also such a supportive individual. Like, if I told her that I was doing something that I, like, might think is the most boring thing on earth, but I'd be like, oh, I'm, like, doing this one event. Like, it's no big deal. She would be like, where is it? When is it? Like, who do I bring? And she would bring an audience. No. Like, she brought someone to my panel. Now, granted, I didn't know this I was I didn't happening. even know. No. <laughs> so she, like, I was like, okay, I have this panel. It's on dismantling racism. It's in Kent, Washington. This is an hour away from Seattle. Mm-hmm. And I remember I told Hannah, and Hannah goes, great, I'll be there. Like, it wasn't even a question. It was uh-huh. just like, I will be there. When does it start? Yep. And I'm like, you don't have to come if you don't want to. Hannah was like, I will be there. And Hannah was sitting there, was second sitting there. row, ready to go. Mm-hmm. And she like, brought a friend. And she brought a friend. That Catherine. Person. Love Catherine. Oh, God. Catherine seems sweet. I didn't say any words to her. but It's okay. You'll get to meet her another time. <laughs> exactly. But it's like, Hannah's just such a good person. Mm-hmm. And I like, that's kind of support. And a human is not often, like, that's not often. Agreed. Like, a lot of people, like, 
reserve their time for things that they want to do. And Hannah's mm-hmm. just one of those people who will just like do anything and agree to anything. Like she'll like so Hannah, I, time. Like Hannah, I want to go swimming in the ocean right now, although it's like five degrees she would probably. She's like, bet, let's go. And mm-hmm. like I'll drive and like pick you up and take you. Yep. And I just uh, without a doubt. Just a great human. I love Hannah so much. Any would you also like to give an additional flower? Or yes. Um I think through this process of trying to find a new job because I left my last job. Um, I have to give a flower to all the people who supported me, mm. but specifically my mother mm. for keeping me humble. BC. Um, keeping me very, very humble through the whole entire process because I was like, Mom, I am the best worker. Like, I have all these credentials. And my mom's like, don't be asking people for crazy amounts of money because they don't have it. <laughs> and was like, but mom, I deserve all this. She's like, you work in nonprofit sectors. You work as a social worker. They ain't got that kind of money. Isaac, you need to calm down. It's like, well, I need to make sure. I'm like, ask for better benefits. Ask for reasonable things. And I'm just, no, mom, I'm going to ask for like 100K for the work that I do. And she's like, no. <laughs> you're not gonna get that <laughs> ask for better benefits and I'm like Mm-mm, I don't want to I want to ask for more money so I can live this lavish lifestyle that I live in my head once this podcast gets like really big I'll be able to live of course and she's just like that's not today <laughs> make a reasonable decisions which was helpful <laughs> and now I have a new job so we're good now shout out to VC yeah she's the best anyway as always, thank you to Jack Straw Cultural Center for yes. housing us in the foolishness that we bring to this home. It's been a lovely experience here. Hasn't First it? time. Thank you so much for doing this of with course. me. Thank I you know. For inviting me. Nadia um, decided she wanted to leave for Africa, and so she had to get her ducks in an order before she left. So I didn't want to reasonably cause her any more stress than, <laughs> than going to East Africa would be um, not saying that it's stressful because she's going there for self-care and yeah. she's going to have the greatest time and I'm mm-hmm. going to miss her so much mm-hmm. while she's gone. And I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do for three weeks. Like, sorry, Josh, but like, Natty is... No, that's real. Laugh. I know you're going to be... I'm going to be distraught. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's Reasonably so. Yeah. Um, as always, um, thank you to for listening. You know, we have a patreon account so if you want to pay us for the labor that we do on this podcast that would be dope it would help us keep running so one day these things will not be out of pocket and we'll have sponsorships and stuff like that that'd be dope um also um do you have any personal announcements josh of things that are going on in your life that might be coming up soon Hmm. do you want to start i feel like you have announcements uh what can i think of um i'm in a show nadia has some poetry shows um i think hers on the 22nd of March. Mm-hmm. It's called Show Out. It's through, um, I think it's through, I can't remember what it is. It's a poetry collective thing that she's a part of. But it's um, at the Langston Hughes Center. I can post a link to buying tickets so mm-hmm. that you guys can attend that. Um, me and Nadia are also doing a show with our friend Sam, who we talk about a lot on this podcast, um, who and who also might be on the podcast sometime soon to talk about mm-hmm. the show. Um, but yeah, so um, we're going to have stuff coming up in March. So definitely look forward to those things. Um, who knows? I might start speaking at things again. I like, spoke on a panel recently, and I don't know what's going to happen for the rest of my life. So look at me just making moves, money moves, like Cardi B. <laughs> Manny. I hate you. <laughs> um, I don't think so. I don't have any big things coming up. Oh, my gosh. No. Yeah. 
Yeah, I have I to. Should, I should get on that. If you want to, it's up to you. What would I do? Josh, talk about health inequity. <laughs> Just sit there. <laughs> I feel like you would be important on somebody's like panel about. <laughs> health disparities in South mm. Seattle. I'm just speaking that into existence. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> seem very well-versed. Thank you. You're welcome. Gotta boost your booze. Mm. Hashtag boost your booze. Wow. Boost your booze. That's amazing. I'm so oh, smart. Wow. My mind. Your mind. <laughs> it's crazy. It's brilliant. Anyway, thanks again, Josh, for sitting here with me. Yes. Thanks um, for having me. Anyway, bye. Bye.